Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning. The text that we'll be looking at is Luke chapter 24, and we'll be looking at verses 36 through 49. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. So we've, uh, we, we've been in somewhat of a series this Advent season of asking some of the, the great questions uh, of the Advent season. And while technically uh, not in Advent anymore, uh, I wanted to finish this out by asking uh, a, a pertinent question straight out of this text. And the, this is kind of the, the, the centralizing question of the text, and, and that is, why are you troubled? Um, as we, we finish out one year, uh, we, we probably sit on the, the ending of this year looking around, thinking back and pondering the previous year and thinking, well, that was rough. And then, you know, sometimes if you're, you're like me, you're, you're a wild optimist, just wildly optimistic. And all the mess that was last year, that's okay, because this year, it's going to be a great year. Have any circumstances changed from last year? Well, no. Um, have, have any of the problems been solved or gone away? No. But it's going to be better. Right? There's just enough golden retriever in there. to, uh, you, know. you look at it and you think it's going to be fine. But, but if we were honest with ourselves, right? not even pessimistic, but if we were realists, we would probably get to the cusp of, of this next year and think, is it going to be 365 days of, of happiness and joy? Well, probably not. But what we do have in this text, while that is the running question of much of the Christian life, what we actually will see in this, in this question, which is really one of the core questions of the Christian life, we see two grand remedies to our troubles, two remedies to our troubles from King Jesus we're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Oh, Father, how we, your servants, come before you with our hearts troubled these days. How our joy and love has grown cold. How we've reclused within ourselves. Lord, we need to hear your word this day. So, Lord, give us now eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of it. So that's our, our, our main question here is, why are you troubled? And Jesus really gives us two fundamental remedies to all of life's great troubles. And here's the first one. The first great remedy to all your troubles is a very real Jesus. This we see in verses 36 through 43. Jesus, right, this, where this is coming is at the very end of Luke's gospel. Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised on the third day, just as he had promised before in the previous section to what we've seen now. He's uh, walked on the road to Emmaus, and as he's walking along, people are, you know, crying and, you know, what's going on? And Jesus is just like, oh, you know, explain to me. And he explains to them, you know, what's going on? And, and he opens up their mind, and then suddenly they realize this is the risen King Jesus. And, and so they go and they tell all the disciples, and there's this excitement. But, but here now they sit, these disciples in this upper room, and, and their Messiah, who, who they've walked with and learned from and, and have, have steeped themselves in his teaching, yet they did not understand or sitting there thinking, did he really rise from the dead? What's actually going on here? And so Jesus uh, gives them a big surprise and a big question. In the text here, it says they were talking about all these things, what they had seen and what Jesus had told them. And, And then Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. It's Somewhat of a surprise, in parallel passages, the, the doors were locked, and, and suddenly he appears to them in particular and gives them just a, a, a very you know, generic uh, Hebrew greeting, peace to you. Hey, y'all, how you doing? Here's Jesus. Wait, what's going on? Here, here you are, and, and he just appears uh, somewhat casually, um, and he, he really asks these two questions. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, you could understand maybe why they're a little bit troubled and why doubts are arising in their their hearts. They've, They've seen their king crucified. The one who was supposed to bring in the kingdom was killed before their very eyes. And so they're, they're troubled and doubting. He's like, why are you troubled? It, it, that wasn't a hallucination. This wasn't some sort of emotional group psychosis. I told you what was going to happen, and it did. 
But as we'll see here, it's, it, it's one thing to hear of Jesus is rising. It's another thing to see it, and it's another thing altogether to have your hearts illumined by the Holy Spirit, to actually see by faith the glory of the risen King Jesus. But Jesus gives this initial remedy. So he, he asks this question, he gives him this initial remedy. He first says, um, see my hands and my feet, or you could translate that, consider my hands and my feet. There's almost a, a, a rationality there. You know. but look at this. This, is truly, this truly happened. What, what, what actually occurred on the cross really did occur. But, but behold, it's, it's, it's physical. It, it's real. It's, it, it's actual. And so he, he shows them his hands and his feet. Uh, and then he even invites them, touch me. See Spirits don't have flesh and bones that I have, but take and consider these things. Behold it, ponder it, come near. See how Jesus, knowing his people, appeals to the whole person? Consider these things. See, hold, feel me. And this is absolutely astounding at this point. Right? It, it's irrefutable at this moment that that. King Jesus has actually risen from the dead. He's conquered the grave, and yet, what's their response? They go on to say, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, they saw these things and said, there's no possible way. Now, if you have to have some form of disbelief, this is probably the best kind uh, disbelief from, from joy and, and from marveling. Here's what they were doing, to, to put this in a different way. They're looking at the very gospel itself, that Jesus has conquered sin and the grave and is standing before his people. And what do they say? The gospel is unbelievably good news. My heart won't even let me go there. That, that, that this could possibly be true. It's unbelievably good news. Sometimes I worry that our belief is maybe worse than their unbelief. Their unbelief sits with joy and marvels at the risen Lord. And so often, speaking of my own heart, there's an apathetic belief. I behold the wonderful works of God completely unaffected. I see what the Lord has done by his grace and his mercy, and I leave cold and bored. In some cases, we're worse than Israel, aren't we? Who saw the glory of God in Egypt and at Sinai, and yet still went after the idols of their hearts, and the text says that their faces were veiled. But I fear that something is far worse with us, that we who have beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, we've seen these things by faith, and yet we're bored. We yawn at the gospel. With us, it's not a veil that covers our hearts, but maybe even worse, it's a welder's helmet. Impenetrable to the glorious light of the gospel. And how I long 
and, and, and my heart tells me that the true remedy that I need is, is for the Lord to awaken my soul to sing. And to sing along with the hymn writer, crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside, rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his burning eyes in mysteries so bright. That's the faith that I want to live this next year. With, with the welder's helmet over my heart lifted, that I behold the glories of God in the gospel, that Christ my King is real and seated at this very moment at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over all things, having conquered death and done it for me. That's the remedy that I truly need. Pray. Help me see the gospel for what it truly is. Unbelievably good news. But in light of this unbelievably good news, Jesus actually gives an unbelievably ordinary remedy. After looking at their unbelief because of joy and their marveling, he says to them in a very nonchalant way, you have anything to eat? What an amazing thing to do of, uh, of all of the, 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 the mysteries that, that they've watched so much of, of what Daniel even prophesied of, uh, of, of this, this rising, this true resurrection that would happen or what we saw from 2 Kings actually come to fruition. And how does he follow it up? You got anything to eat? And so they gave him a piece of fish and he took it and ate it before them, or he sat and ate it before their faces. The ultimate in communing with somebody. He's sitting down before them in a very real and tangible fashion and eating before them. Jesus is and he does this with this in mind. What is Jesus doing? He eats in front of them because he wants to show them that he is a very real Jesus. This is not a, a figment of their imagination. Or this is not just wishful thinking. But here Jesus sits and he's physical and he's real. And this is something that we need today. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is as physical and as real as the person sitting next to you. And the work that he accomplished on the gospel is as physical and as real and as actual as everything you've seen today. In fact, dare I say, that the Christ and the gospel found in him is more real and relevant to your life in this next year than breakfast and lunch. Christ is more physical and actual and real than anything you will experience this week. This is unbelievably good news. That, that here he sits, ruling and reigning over all things as our great king. United to us, that as surely as he conquered the grave, so too will he surely raise his people up in glory. But in light of that, he gives us this, this second remedy. Not only is he a very real Jesus, but the second thing, 
he's given a very real promise. A very real promise. We see this in verses 44 through 49. Jesus has one main message. And he comes to them, and from there he just opens up and tells them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Likely people take this to mean the bulk of what Jesus has taught them from the very beginning. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Uh, the, you know, our Old Testament in English has a, has a certain ordering, and it's the same books, but different order uh, in the Hebrew Bible. And, and in the Hebrew Bible, um, again, same Old Testament books, but they, they're ordered different. And it's actually ordered in three main sections. Um, what's known as the law, the first five books of the Bible, um, the prophets, both the, the writing prophets and the historical books, and, and the writings, or much of the wisdom literature. And, uh, uh, one way to put this is the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What Jesus is doing here is, is he's, he's coming to them and saying, here's the bulk of the message. The whole Old Testament Every bit of it is held together on a promise. And that promise is fulfilled in me. It's held together in this promise from Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would come to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And then reiterated in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17 that the seed of Abraham would come and would be a blessing to all the nations. That this would be both the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham. And all of the promises that God had made to restore all that was lost in the fall. Jesus stands before them and says, here it is. That moment that creation has been groaning for since the beginning of time, that, that all that was wrong would be undone, that all that was wrong would be made right. Here it is. It's fulfilled. The crux of everything, all of redemptive history, hangs on this promise. And Jesus has just fulfilled it. And he opens their very minds to understand this thing. Listen, a gospel-centered life is not a trite tautology or a platitude, but it is the all-consuming, all-centering, all-focusing core of everything that changes those who have their minds to open to see Jesus for who he truly is. But rooted in that is what comes next. Jesus opens their minds to this very real promise, but then he commissions this promise. Verses 47 through 49. He says this. After unfolding these two things, this is the bulk of the promise that was made, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem. It, these two things are, are at the center of this promise, but then he, he goes on and he unfolds before them. You're to testify to these things, and then he says this. You are witness to these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. He's commissioning them. 
This good news has actually happened. It's physical, it's real, it's tangible. This promise is here. Behold the fulfillment of the promise. Now go. You're commissioned now to go. You're, You're given this very promise of the Father to now go and proclaim this truth. But what promise is that? Well, uh, yes, of course, it's the Holy Spirit. We find that um, in, in the book of Acts, which is Luke part two. But there's, there's more here that actually at the core of this promise uh, is more than just the promise of the Holy Spirit as we look. But, but the fulfillment of this promise is actually much broader than this. In, in Acts uh, chapter one, verse four, it's the promise of the Father. And then in Luke two thirty nine, it's the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. All of that is actually rooted and founded in the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis 3 and then 12 and then 17, that that at the very core of this, behold the significance and the fulfillment of this promise, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the serpent crusher, the blessing of the nations, the means of our redemption, our union to God, our adoption, and our right to have a redeemed cosmic inheritance, the very presence of God that he will dwell with his people, it's found right here. This promise is real. Now go tell the world. This fulfillment of a great and real promise is Jesus It's physical, a fulfillment with a face and a fingerprint. Behold, now go and tell the fulfillment of this promise. But better yet, go, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Better, go and tell in my power, Jesus says, by my spirit. Here in Christ, this Promise and fulfillment is commissioned, and the spirit and the power are ours too. All of this in Christ Jesus, this is our call too, that as we have this very real promise from a very real Jesus given to us, he commissions us likewise. With this very real power, this very real spirit, this very real commissioning, for us to go and to do likewise. Tell the world of this glorious good news, of a very real Jesus who has fulfilled a very real promise. And so here is our commissioning, especially in this next year as we begin to to think of a fresh start for this next year. Maybe all of our problems won't go away. But maybe this next year we can bear in mind that we are a divinely commissioned people endowed with this spirit from on high in order that the name of Christ would be exalted both to the people across the street and to the people around the world. May we be that sort of people who marvels at the glories of Jesus and proclaims his good news for all that will hear it. Let us go to him now in prayer. Oh, Father, how our hearts are so often troubled in a fallen world. 
And yet, Lord, how you have given us marvelous remedies and a very real Jesus who's the fulfillment of a very real promise. And so, Father, we pray that now, that while our hearts may be troubled and doubting, Jesus, too, comes and fellowships with us by these very ordinary means of bread and wine. Jesus sits with his people by faith through the Spirit, in fact, called into the very throne room to where our a real, actual, physical king is ruling and reigning over all things. And so, Lord, give us faith now. Give our hearts rest. Feed your sheep, O oh Lord, that we would be built up, that once more our cold hearts would be warmed to the marvelous and wonderful works of God, and that therefore we would go make disciples of all the nations and give to you our reasonable service or our spiritual sacrifice, Lord, by loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.